All right. Well, um, we're going to start things off uh, with a panel discussion. So uh, the, the theme of our conference is take heart. Uh, take heart, uh, comfort in a chaotic age. And uh, we have some people here in our church, uh, people who in one way or another have taken heart. And they've been practitioners of this, certainly not perfectly. Um, that, that would be a tall task. Nevertheless, these are people uh, who in some meaningful way uh, have been observed to, have, to take heart. And, and we have invited these folks to come and to testify to the fact that God does comfort us. And, uh, and to give us some insight and some instruction, pass some wisdom along to what it looks like to pursue the comfort of the Lord. And so uh, we've kind of got a rubric from John 15 and 16. We invite these folks up and we're going to discuss some of this for a little bit. So panel participants, why don't you come on up and take a seat, please. Panel, thank you for being here tonight and thank you for being willing to share with us of yourself. Um, if you don't know, my name's Jackson Randall. I'm one of the elders here at Grace. I've been here for... Um, 13 years in total. I've been on staff at Grace for about 12 years. Um, and uh, yeah, I, part of my role is to oversee this conference and do a bunch of other things here at Grace. Uh, but I want everybody to know who you are. So uh, maybe start on the end. Just introduce us to yourself. How'd you find yourself here? And we'll dive into these questions. Uh, my name's Mike Mills, and I've been at Grace for a year. And I got here because my son, Jonathan, started going here. Um, and I've been married for 30 years, almost, to my wife, Christy, and we have two other kids, three kids, and uh, we're very thankful to be here. Okay, I'm Amanda Oaks, and um, married to Jason, um, 23 hard-earned years, <laughs> and um, I, we have four kids. Um, this is the time of year where it's fun to say their ages, 15, 16, 17, 18. Just for, just for a few more weeks. Um, and um, we've been here for a little over, or about 11 years, I think. Wow. Hi, I'm Darby Garlicker, and I've been at Grace with my husband for about six years. I moved here from Illinois, got married to Andrew, my husband, and yeah, we've been here ever since. So. My name's Junior Jamrianovit. I'm also currently serving as an elder. Uh, been attending here since 2006. Graduated Biola. Married to Katie uh, over there. Uh, we have uh, four very loud children. And yes, and that's me, yeah. <laughs> well, again, thank you for being here. Well, uh, so again, the theme of our conference is take heart, comfort in a chaotic world. Um, we're going to see here tomorrow night, John 16 says that we as believers, we will experience trouble. Uh, we will experience tribulation. Uh, it's going to be hard at times. If you back up to John 15, you see that Jesus' disciples are going to experience a unique type of trouble. The world is going to hate them. John 16 says that the disciples are going to experience sorrow, a deep sort of sorrow in their hearts. And so this is a lot of trouble. And my question for you is, is how or what are some ways that you've experienced the chaos or difficulty of living in this world in this most recent season? So what does is, what is this chaotic world look like for you? 
So we were discussing this, because this is probably the hardest question. It's the first one we were discussing, and we were like, went totally different directions. So I guess I guess I start, because I kind of went big picture with this idea, uh, where it's it's a little, it takes a little bit more work to parse that out as Americans, uh, Christians in America, and what's a little bit more clear are other parts of the country where, yes, if you do confess that you're a Christian, that Jesus is Lord, and for that very reason, you are persecuted. Hmm. Uh, and that's more a direct parallel with the passages we'll be going through this weekend. Uh, for us, though, that may not experience that same degree of persecution, I've thought of um, just d- different principles that we tend to face, although not directly as a profession, professing Christian. So, you you know, wherever you work or you go about your business, yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. He's, you know, the son of God. People probably shrug their shoulders, not care. Uh, but when you start advocating for the nuclear family, you mm. start advocating uh, that unborn children have a right to life because they're created in the image of God. You start advocating that the institute of marriage should be between a man and a woman, and that there are men and women, and that gender is binary. Well, then you're going to get some pushback, some hard pushback. Now, it's not a direct confession that, hey, uh, it's because um, I believe in Jesus. However, um, by extension, it's because we believe in Jesus why we want to advocate for God's created or, order because we care about people. We want people to flourish, and we believe this is the way to do it. And we're going to be branded as narrow-minded, backwards, um, not inclusive enough. Uh, so that's kind of the opposition I've seen. And even things that get dicier, like uh, your reaction to COVID, not even COVID itself, um, and, and that gets more chaotic as Christians have disagreed um, how we should appropriately react, what's our relationship to the government. So there's a lot of chaos. When I see chaos, I've been just thinking yeah. about this the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't want to drone on, but those are the kind of things I think yeah. about. So, so part of what you're saying, it sounds like, is people are okay with us being you know, professing Christ, but when we start trying to act like Christians or making Christ- claims that are in keeping with the Christian understanding of the world, people start to get a little upset with this. And at the core of that, what it is, it's, it's protecting the sovereignty of the self. Mm-hmm. You know, like I get to define who I am based on my desires. I get to kill a child out of the name of convenience or women's rights or, or whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's, it's that self-preservation that they're trying to preserve. And Jesus says, hey, come and die. Hmm. You know, uh, and that's not a message that, you know, people, you know, tend to line up for. I work at uh, Biola in the education department and I help uh, student teachers and teachers trying to clear their credentials. And I've had quite a few discussions just on some of the content that they're being, um, that they're forced to be able to teach, have to teach in different classrooms, especially the sex education curriculum, which is um, hitting seventh grade science teachers and and La Mirada, uh, the physics teachers have to teach a two-week unit on uh, sex education. So this is, uh, it's actually challenged me in my thinking to try to help them. They want to be faithful in their job, but also not compromise mm. um, their principles. And it's, it's, diff- it's a difficult situation to be in.
So it's some of the assault on truth, on biblical truth that's, that's right. throwing things into chaos. Yeah, and I think we need Christians in the public school system, um, but there's just some challenges that they're facing that are difficult to work through. Yeah, awfully discouraging, absolutely. Yeah. I took this question a different angle. Um, I think Darby and I did. Maybe it's the female thing. I don't know. Um, but I took it more personal. Um, not as big picture. Um, but some of the ways I've experienced the chaos or the difficulty, or I've, you know, I've seen around me, um, in, in the church particularly, um, in response to a lot of these cultural things and COVID and everything is fear, mm-hmm. um, uncertainty, um, and isolation. And I think all those three things and many more um, in response to chaos um, make it worse. Yeah. Um, and so, and I've done some of those things myself. <laughs> For different different reasons at different times, so um, so it's a, that's that's a challenge. And I think one thing I experienced several times throughout the last couple of years, you know, we are all tired of hearing that we live in unprecedented times now, but I think we all have precedented problems too, don't we? Right. We we all have things that have always been a struggle for us, and those just didn't politely go away over the last couple of years. So at those moments when we're most overwhelmed, here we've got terrible headlines coming in constantly and false accusations against so many people, and, and it becomes overwhelming. And I, so often I felt like I had run out of empathy and I had run out of compassion. There were just too many things to care about. And so I, I became so grateful at those times that we can bring all of our concerns to the foot of the cross, that Jesus has unlimited compassion and mercy, that he you know, when he was exhausted and he was moving uh, away with the disciples to pray, he still had compassion on the crowds, even though he was exhausted. And I feel like we're bringing, we're bringing those overwhelming number of requests to God now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it strikes me that it's probably appropriate for there to be varied answers on this sort of question because, you know, all the way back in Genesis 3, our first parent sin and what happens, our, our world is thrown into chaos. There's a sort of decreation that happens and everything gets messed up. And, and that touches uh, society, culture, systems, the, the heart. Um, and so there's big ways that chaos is gonna present itself. There's national ways that it's gonna present itself. And there's very personal ways, just me at home by myself or what me and my family are dealing with. And so yeah, chaos is all around us and certainly a time where it's gonna affect us in, in varied ways. Thank you for sharing. Well, uh, having recognized that, that we are living in a chaotic world and, and that's t- uh, touching us at big and personal ways, um, John 16, 7 uh, provides a word of comfort. And, and Jesus says that in his absence, he's gonna send the spirit, the helper, the paraclete, as we're going to learn about tomorrow evening. And so my question for you is, how have you found the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to be a helper and a guide in these days? And have there been specific things that you've done in order to seek the Spirit? Uh, specific things. Uh, so I think to Darby's point, when we've kind of 
had a tumultuous couple of years, the, th the problems we had prior didn't politely go away. Along with that, I would say uh, my relationship and how I my relationship with Jesus and how I cultivated didn't change. Mm. Uh, so there's still reading the word, fellowshipping with the saints, um, worshiping, uh, reading your Bible every day. So that it's not, you know, it, it, it sounds like a list to being a good Christian, but it is uh, part of your relate relationship with him in that you commune and converse with him. And much the same, well, maybe not exactly the same, but coming home to my wife and talking to her and walking through the day and decisions that I have to make that I ask her about or things we're thinking about in the family and you're, you're conversing that relationship. So um, to, the, to the question, any specific ways I've sought the spirit are the ways I've just mentioned, and it didn't change over the crisis period, you know? So personally, my father-in-law was killed in a car accident, many of you know, and um, that was something that deeply affected the family. Here we are about a year or so removed, and um, you know, our routine as it pertains to seeking the spirit, seeking Christ as our refuge, uh, loving to read the Bible, loving to be among God's people, that just hasn't changed. And I think it's that consistency when the tumultuous times come is what anchors you uh, to stand on solid ground. Mm. So even though your emotions at that time are volatile, volatile uh, there's something in you that you know that, no, I'm, I'm standing on the rock that is higher than I uh, because you've laid this foundation, you've cultivated this consistency day after day after day, and it's nothing different or new or a curriculum you're going through. It's very uh, simple in terms of implementation. It's the consistency of just loving to be with somebody, and, and that's, that's the spirit. Yeah. Man, two things strike me from that. Um, uh, Mike and I were talking beforehand about something entirely different and just the importance of running the race with endurance and how, um, how key it is to, to just keep going and keep going in these practices that we have. And, and that's important because these crazy seasons will come at some point. And as tragic it is, as it is, we will lose people. Uh, and, and that might even be in a particularly difficult time. Well, what, what is gonna be that anchor? What's gonna hold within the veil? Well, it's gonna be um, our relationship established on Christ, the solid rock, right? That we've cultivated for years and years. It also strikes me, the second thing though is, is if that's not you, if you haven't cultivated this sort of relationship, well, now sounds like a really great time to start uh, because we're not gonna, just be plucked out of the chaotic world as long as we're here in this world. And so if we start now, then we will be those people who are better prepared to seek the Spirit and the help of the Spirit in the days to come as chaos continues to swirl. Thanks. Others? Um, yes, I agree. Um, I also think there's seasons, at least in my life, where I just become exhausted mm. and weary of that battle so I need help um, and so that can come through the church um, um, through through community mm. through fellowship um, but like even for me I, I just you know I 
this was a big deal. Okay, I work full time. I have four kids, so getting away is really doesn't happen very often. But I just kind of hit a point this summer <clears throat> where, um, honestly, I would I would say I navigated the COVID season and those things. I mean, I think decently well. <laughs> um, and I think it's because of some past experiences that it didn't feel that uncertain to me mm. as what I know how uncertain things can feel. Um, but I did hit a point this summer where I was just like, I'm tired. Like, I'm, I'm not tired, like sleepy tired. I'm tired of the In battle. bones, yeah. Like, yeah, the weary bones fighting the lies in my head, replacing them with truths. I'm tired. So I just went away for two days by myself with my Bible, a book, a journal, and music. And music, yeah. And just cut myself off because the noise around was just too loud and too much. Mm. And the, the Spirit of the Lord met me powerfully there. Mm. And I left after those two days feeling like, Okay, I can press on, yeah. right? I can press on, and I, 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 I really—I mean, that was just of the Lord. It's not like I slept a lot, or and nothing changed in the world. That's for sure. <laughs> but it was just a, a refreshment, a renewing of just to take to keep going. Yeah, so good. Um, I've just been, uh, since we've been at, I've just been at Grace for a year, I've been real encouraged just with uh, the spirit of prayer and many aspects of Grace's ministry that's encouraged mm. me. It seems like there's more people have been burdened. I have been burdened with the issues of the day, and they've been more in my heart to pray for. Um, there's, I've been going to the Tuesday morning prayer meeting. It seems like there's quite a few uh, brothers and sisters there. They're very burdened with many of the issues in our society, and they're praying about it. And the same with my grace group and just so many people that pray with each other after service. That's actually been a real encouragement during uh, COVID. And, you know, through the history of the church, when the Lord's people begin to pray, things, things can happen and the Lord right. can work. And so um, that's been a, good, a great encouragement to me. Yeah. So. Amen. Amen. We'll keep going. Um, so another theme that comes up in John 15 is this theme of love. And, uh, and Jesus calls his disciples to love one another as they have been loved by Jesus. And um, uh, as I'm sure you have found, one of the, the great comforts in my life has been the church, the people of God loving one another, loving me. I've, I've been the, on the receiving end of the church's love so many times. And so can you share some specific instances uh, of where the church has uh, served as a means of comfort, a means of love to you, especially in this most recent season? And, and, and also I recognize there's gonna be overlap in some of these answers. We could probably answer the, the same way for multiple questions, but, but I'm curious about the church and the church's care for you, or have you seen the church caring for others in a way that's comforted and blessed your soul in these days? There's many things I could say about this, but I'm going to keep my answer super short. <clears throat> and that is, isolation is so dangerous. Yeah. Massively dangerous. Um, and so, when you seek community, you're protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. Um 
because you shouldn't trust yourself in isolation. <laughs> and so, and then I was thinking, okay, we say that, you know, get community in the church, build community, da 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 da. So that doesn't mean sitting at home thinking, I wish I had community. It means getting out of your comfort zone, talking to people, maybe someone you see. I think I, think I went to Sherry here and I was like, um, can we start meeting? Right? I mean, uh, Ruth Dix, can we start meeting? Like, I need these older women in my life and, and then my sweet, my sweet friends, too, that have, you know, walked with me um, as well. Like, because I, I'm doing that because, yes, I want to enjoy it, but I know I need it. Yeah. Right? I need these voices that are not my own head. Um, and I think if you sit back and have self-pity, like, well, I don't have the community that I want. Okay, then just go start asking people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, start, start making it, start building it. Because, you know, if I don't, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I, that's such a wonderful point. I, I think about, about me over this past year and a half. And, you know, I, there's so many times where I think I was tempted towards um, despair over disagreements that occurred related to COVID or related to any number of things that were going on. And you see these polarizing opinions on social media coming across your newsfeed and it could just feel overwhelming. But what continually kept me grounded in the grace of God was meeting together with the elders during that time. So I meet together with these elders and it's not like we saw eye to eye on everything. And, and in fact, we would disagree strongly at times, but the person disagreeing with me was somebody who I knew loved me. It was somebody who had brought me a meal at difficult times in my life. And so it was so hard to, to say, wait a second, you're espousing an opinion that I disagree with, but you're not, a, you're not an enemy. You love, I know you love me. And it was this thing that the Lord used over and over again to remind me of his grace towards me and to persevere despite the swirling chaos of disagreement and divisiveness. And, and I think that makes sense, right? We're, we're an embodied people. Uh, we're not just souls floating around all over the place. It matters that we gather together and we be with one another for a whole myriad of reasons. And so if we could just get together, and I've heard this testified to so many times over the past year and a half, and, and there are challenges, unique challenges to doing that in this particular season, but if we can get together, the Lord can work in really powerful ways. Yeah, thank you. Other thoughts added on to that or different thoughts? You know, I think when Amanda says get out of your comfort zone, uh, I think that's easier for some people than others. So I'm, I, I'm trying to be empathetic. I'm trying to practice empathy. I'm very low on the empathy scale. <laughs> How are you doing with that? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So I, I try uh, be, because... Um, I, I tend to have this kind of perspective where you just get to the point where you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So I'll just go ahead and put myself in situations or talk to people um, that I don't want to talk to or get in a situation that I don't want to get into or get in a conversation, so on and so forth. But the fruit of that has been amazing. Yeah. Um, so it gets to the point where there's a tipping point where that ceases to become difficult, but it takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hear a lot that introverts have a hard time here at this church because it takes some intentionality and in getting to know people. But I want to say that 
okay, like, it's harder for you. I'm, I'm sorry, but you talk to people still. <laughs> there, there's, there's that low empathy coming out. But specifically speaking, um, Rick Floyd, are you even here, Rick Floyd? Rick Floyd, right over there. Like, um, I was talking to my wife about Rick this afternoon, uh, just about different things and how much he's meant to me, just having me over at his house and um, cooking breakfast and, and loving me and caring for me and even expanding that. It's like, hey, you wanna invite some other dude, you know? And then, you know, Neil, when he's leaving, we had breakfast with Neil and it was like a goodbye breakfast and Luke, Tagged on, and then Travis Austin, you hear Travis, he's, he does this uh, a camping trip for a bunch of guys, and if you're interested, you let me know, because you're invited. Um, but, but just all these different organic ways that people in this church are so intentional with trying to facilitate the community uh, Amanda is talking about. And when we just, oh, you know, I'm tired, I just want to chill, I don't really want to go meet a bunch of Eat, eat with a bunch of people I hardly know. Um, okay, you can make that decision, but but that's I think long term that that's going to be to your detriment. Uh, I think it takes intentionality and effort to build that community. You know, it, it doesn't just happen. And one of the things is being here, talking to people, and and just getting out of that comfort zone. Like, oh my goodness, he's going to tell me to turn and talk to somebody. You know, uh, during worship. That, that's fine. Like, be okay with that awkwardness. Be okay with, with um, you know, messing up on a handshake. Like, you know, just shrug it off. You know, I mean, it, it's, I, I think the more you're, you're uh, the more you're intentional, I think the, the more times you will be rewarded. Yeah. yeah, do hard things and develop grit. I think, too, with trying to get out of our comfort zones to, to bring that community to others, the hardest times in my life, I have been most comforted by very small encouragements from others. They haven't seemed like big things. And so don't, don't underestimate what a small action of compassion hmm. can do for someone. Um, for me, I've really come to rely on the presence of God when I'm going through a hardship. But one of the ways I know God is with me and that he sees me is because the church sees me Amen. and cares for me. And so uh, I've seen that multiple times this year, especially just how when I went through a difficult time caring for my mom after a surgery that she had, Paula Clevenger in our church was so loving toward me and gave me the advice and the mothering I needed at that time. Mm. Uh, just so spoke into that situation in the way I needed. It was a small thing. It was mostly by text, but she was there for me. I was seen and I was loved. And maybe that's through praying for, for others. During that time, I had so little focus, so little brain power. I, I had very, I had a lot of trouble praying. And I knew that my Bible study, Women Here, Grace, I knew they were praying for me. I knew there were so many people praying. It's not a huge thing. But I knew there was somebody there praying, so I, didn't, I could rest in that. I didn't have to worry. I could rest that my needs were being taken before the throne. Amen. I, I've heard it said before, I think I've heard Eric and, and probably Randy say several times that part of our job as ministers of the gospel, and I think we're all ministers of the gospel, is that we see things in other people and we just say something about it. We identify the way that the Lord's at work. We, we bring people's attention to those things. That's a way that we can bless them and encourage them. Sounds like a big part of what you're saying there. Yeah, I'm going to steal, I'm going to mention Rick again. 
it's the idea. Uh, he, I think he stole it from somebody, but I'm going to steal it from him. Everything give him credit, yeah, so, yeah, eventually. Uh, but he said that you shouldn't have to wait uh, for a, a person to die to give a eulogy. Hmm. You know, so um, thought of that a lot, and, and kind of to Darby's point, there, there, there is something when you see something positive or something in that person, a particular quality about that person, uh, part of being the church is to affirm that, that thing. Uh, so examples in character or just a, a certain gifting that you appreciate or even an example from a distance. You know, I don't, I don't meet with um, Jason Tressler or, or Rob Lister regularly, but I appreciate their examples mm. and, and what they do things, knowing what they do and, and just... Um, the, the amount of effort they do uh, while having full-time jobs and a family still nurturing and encouraging and leading uh, the church in such a way. So, yeah, I just love the church. Amen. Well, uh, as we're going to uh, explore here in just a little bit, John 15 is, is beautifully strange in that one of the key things that... Uh, that Jesus calls his disciples to is to abide in Christ or remain in Christ. And as they do, Christ will abide in them or remain in them. And so there's this, this strange thing where abiding seems to be this, this thing that you just do. It's almost passive. You, you live, you dwell, you abide. It, it, it's not a effort thing, but at the same time, it is. Uh, we are commanded to abide. Uh, we are called to abide. We're called to put forward effort to live or to dwell in Christ. Uh, we work to rest is another way to think of it. And, and so have there been specific prayers you've prayed, books you've read, Bible reading patterns you've cultivated, or other spiritual disciplines you've cultivated in this past season that's helped you to receive the comfort of the Lord and rest more fully in Christ? I'll just say it's just something we already touched on, talked about just being faithful with the private means of grace. And when those trials expand and get bigger like a pandemic, then that's already in place. That helps you, obviously, to be more uh, spiritually minded and just being faithful with your time in the Word and prayer, Bible memorization, memorization and meditation. Yeah. And I'll just put a personal plug in. One thing that's helped me over the years is I try to read one Christian biography a year. And uh, that's been very helpful just to see the Bible flushed out in a person's life. Mm. And every well-known Christian that you've heard of has actually gone through very major trials. And when you start reading their life and you see how they dealt with that, that's always encouraged and helped me to see that actually lived out. In Give us an example. Uh, example, okay. Well, this last year I read by the recommendation of Randy Grundyke. He was telling me about Charles Simeon. I didn't know much about him, so... I read that, and it was just a great encouragement. He preached that he was in the late, uh, late 1700s. For the first 10 years of his pastorate, the church members who owned the pews in the front of the church locked the pews and didn't come to church for 10 years. It's a great story. And he continued to preach faithfully, and the people that wanted to come had to sit in the middle aisles around to hear him preach. And he did that for 10 years. I'm going, 10 years? Yeah. I just don't, that's, that's just... He's just faithful. He knew God had called him to faithfully proclaim the word, and he consistently carried it out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great word. It's so easy to think about these these names that we throw out sometimes, spiritual heroes of the past, and think that they just had their lives together, and it was just this this one massive, uh, one giant victory after another. And that's just not the case, you know. Um, 
uh, Calvin is a hero of mine, and, and he, he lost a child, and it grieved him. And, and, and he wrote most of his work in uh, having experienced that grief and, and then living with his sister, writing with a, around a bunch of children. I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible thing. Spurgeon dealt with depression. Uh, and you, you could go throughout these great people throughout the history of the church and realize that they struggled mightily, but they persevered, and God blessed them. Yeah, it's good. Okay, I feel like I'm the one on the panel that has to take more extreme measures to keep myself going, my retreat. And so, so I had to institute, um, this was last fall, um, well, well, two things. So last fall, when the noise was so, so loud from every direction, um, I just decided to cut it all off, and I thought the best way to cut it all off would just to say, okay, I'm going to read the whole Bible in 90 days. Oh. Because then I had no other time besides <laughs> sleeping, eating, taking care of my family, and then I needed to be in God's Word. And what that did for me was it lifted my eyes up, right, and gave me this biblical history perspective to realize these things aren't new. These things are not new. And I can see the thread of God's redeeming work through the Bible, and that's not any different than now. I may not understand it. I may think, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> but I, I have to trust. And so I need that perspective shift. Yeah. And so, um, and so f- for me, doing that helped. The other thing that I've done for several years now, um, is I have a little notebook. Sometimes I carry it with me in my purse. I don't have it right now. But in that little notebook are the lies that I'm currently uh, prone to believe um, in whatever season. And then I I have the truth written underneath it. Mm. Um, Because it's, it's, it's a battle. And so I can get easily... Um, you know, pulled back in right. by that by that lie, and I go back to that. I don't have to find it again. Like, oh yeah, that's right. That's the truth. Okay, Lord, help. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, I have. I feel like I have. I mean, I have not arrived, but I have a lot of head knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand a lot of things theologically, but the battle is continually trying to take it to your heart. Yeah. And in chaos, in a world of chaos, um, that's harder. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that because so much of what you said, but but that last little bit about identifying the lie and writing the truth under it, that's not something you could just do passively, right? You have to think about what the lie is and and what you're actually being tempted to believe. That's hard work, right? Sometimes that requires other people's insight and input. That requires prayer, requires being in the word. We don't just come up with that, right? Right. And I think I've just, uh, over the years, have learned to just be aware of, like, if I'm feeling anxious or whatever it is, it's kind of like that engine check light on your car. Okay, there's something behind that. Yeah. Uh, I may not know what it is right away, um, but I'm, I'm going to, like, dig it out or process it or, like, try to figure out what is that rooted in. And then usually it's a lie, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, but it takes, it's, 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 it's tiring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you just have to keep, keep the battle. Yeah. That's so good.
Well, well uh, another way to approach this is, are there any unhelpful practices or dangers out there that you would want to warn us of? So there's some wise things we can cultivate, especially in a season like we're in right now. But what are some of those really unhelpful and unwise things that we could cultivate in a season of unique chaos? Probably read headlines. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's been very unhelpful for me. This yeah. is read headlines. Meditate on headlines yes. rather than the word, right? Indeed. I think it's very easy to mistake uh, what our greatest need is. Mm. It's so easy to just, oh, I just need a few minutes of, of just, I need to zone out with magazine. I need to zone out on this blog. Right. But at any given moment, I believe my greatest need is to behold the face of Christ. Amen. And that does take work. So sometimes, you know, you're just so tired, you don't want to spend that effort. But at that time, just like Amanda was talking, we, we can't overestimate what we can do ourselves to, to feed ourselves spiritually. So find those people to preach the gospel to you so you can behold the face of Christ. Uh, in the past year, what that ended up look like, looking like for me was reading just a third, a half of a chapter of Gentle and Lowly every night. Mm. Those are short chapters. It wasn't much. But when I was discouraged, I knew I needed to end the day beholding Christ in Scripture and in, in, in what he has done on, on our behalf and how secure we are in him. So I, I think just remembering, remembering your need. Yeah. Quick plug, we have a bookstore out in the, on the front patio that has Gentle and Lowly, so you could pick that up for yourself. We should buy them all. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Excellent. Another beautiful part of John 15 and 16 is in John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, they will have sorrow, real sorrow. that They're going to experience at a deep level. It's going to cause them to lament but their sorrow will turn to joy. And, and there is a, a present reality to that that we're gonna talk about tomorrow night, but there's certainly a future reality to that as well. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, which says that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to what is seen, but what is unseen. And so my question for you is what role does looking to the future play in your encouragement or lack thereof? And, and, and Darby, I want to start with you. So if you would take us there. Yeah, over the last couple of years, I think we've all learned to grieve widely. Some of us have faced horrible tragedies and others have faced new unexpected difficulties we never thought we'd be facing, canceled weddings, loved ones living in care centers that turned into prisons, mm. long times away from family. We're all grieving. And during those times of loss, I came to reflect on what I, what I learned very viscerally in college. I have had uh, chronic health problems my whole life, and they resulted in a lot of food allergies. My freshman year at Wheaton, I could eat 11 foods, mm. including cinnamon and lemon. It, it wasn't great. <laughs> And that meant I ate my food alone in the dorm. So eating microwaved asparagus and drinking maple syrup alone was a, a really difficult challenge day in and day out. And I came to look so forward to the marriage supper of the lamb. Oh. When my food allergies today will not cost me any joy that day. It will rob me of nothing in eternity. And those meals I ate alone will rob me of no communion with my Savior that day. 
If, if anything, it only will increase the joy as our living nightmares come undone. So it doesn't remove the sorrow today. It doesn't. But we have a down payment on that incorruptible joy. We have an inheritance that is imperishable. It is kept in heaven for us. And we have a down payment on that now. Christ is with us now. And so it, it doesn't take away the sorrow, but it gives us an incorruptible joy in the midst of that sorrow. Amen. <laughs> Goodness. All right. <laughs> Would you just set that mic on the, on the ground real quick? God is good. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think along the same lines, uh, so my mom got saved maybe four years after I became a Christian, and, and it was, you know, latent in her life. Um, she passed away of a stroke uh, in 2007, uh, but knowing that she was a believer and knowing uh, how vibrant she was in terms of sharing the gospel uh, gives me this, this hope, this, this anticipation. Uh, I remember she, she would talk about praying for my wife. She never met Katie, uh, and she obviously never met our kids, um, so she never got to see her own prayers answered in this lifetime. Uh, and there's this current sorrow that you deal with. There's this current pain that you deal with, uh, including, you know, my father-in-law. I mean, and, and I grew up without a, a dad, so he was the closest thing I had to a father. Right. And, and uh, you know, your Facebook memory comes up, and he was holding Elijah, my son, and I had a really hard time that day. Uh, realizing that he was gone. So the current sorrow makes me realize that, oh, yeah, this is not our home. Yeah. You know, and there's going to be this great reunion that we'll have. Uh, and I've often thought about, man, if I had just one more day with my mom, I could totally introduce her to my family. But Jesus didn't give us one day. He's given us eternity. Uh, so that much more to drives my present to, wow, I, if my mom never accepted Christ, I would not have that hope. And that drives me to share the gospel with friends and family who still don't know Christ, people that I encounter who still don't know Christ. So that future reality, that security that I have, that I hold to, that loved ones that are no longer with me, I will see again. I want to give that hope to other people. Yeah. Um, so that's how a future reality impacts my present. Amen. Beautiful. I'm going to piggyback on that because I was thinking about that too, Junior, and I was thinking of um, in the song, O Church Arise, and, and these, these particular lines just give me chills every time I hear it or we sing it. But it says, um, as saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and we hunger for the day when the Christ we stand in glory. And having lost my dad, you know, 12 years ago, I think the same thing. And sometimes I think lining the way, they are testifying to God's grace right. in their lives. And 
people that have gone before us in there, and, and when you make it personal, when it's your dad or your aunt or Phil or your mom or whatever, and they're saying, it's worth it. Amen. Press on, it's worth it. And, um, or even biblical, or, or I'm, I love missionary biographies when I think of that. And it's inspiring, it's encouraging, it, it, it gives you a renewed, like, okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Well, we have uh, time for, for one more question. And I'm sure the answer to this in some ways is just a, um, uh, a repeating of some of the, the things that have been said here tonight. But what sort of advice would you offer to someone who feels like they know the right answers? They, they know the gospel. They believe in Jesus. And yet, they still find themselves perpetually discouraged in the midst of this particular chaotic season, or really any chaotic season. So how, how would you go about advising these folks who are having a hard time connecting the head stuff to their heart? What came to my mind when I thought of this question um, was a quote by A.W. Tozer. He wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think it's easy to believe a lot of the right things, but have a different functional understanding of who God is and how he relates to us. So that's a lot of what came to light when I read Gentle and Lowly. I realized that when I sinned, I thought God viewed it as, Darby, you messed up again. Do I have to keep putting up with this? This is pathetic. But, but that's, not, that's not the mercy of Christ. That's not the steadfast love of Christ. And I think one of the reasons it's easy to develop these skewed visions of who he is is because it's easy to read scripture passages in isolation from the whole story. So maybe you, you subconsciously might think God is just a harsh judge who expects things we could never live up to in the law. But then remember what, what came before the law, redemption and salvation from Egypt. He rescued the people and he, he allied himself with them. He identified with his people. And so now, God isn't a harsh judge who demands unreasonable things from his subjects. He is a loving husband who has been betrayed by his wife, yet calls her back. Mm. So that's a fundamental difference in how we view God. So it's not going to change your circumstances. But the way you view God can, help you, can change how you experience your circumstances. So viewing scripture as a whole and seeing how things fit into the whole story and whether or not, you, you know, maybe ask yourself, what does come into my mind subconsciously? What, what might I not even admit to thinking about God? And does it veer from Scripture? Beautiful. Having been one that has been perpetually discouraged, <laughs> um, when I think about what draws me out of that, it's the body of Christ. Amen. I mean... Yes, there, there, are t there are, I mean, I've been at discouraging points where it's hard to read my Bible. So if you're struggling to do that, then you need the body of Christ then to be speaking into you, right? right? And so, and I often think of, um, you know, when, when they're fighting, the Israelites are fighting and they have to hold up Moses's mm. arms, right? Yes, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and because he's he's tired, because when he's holding them up, they're winning. When he lets them down, they're not. And I just feel like, okay, that's what the body of Christ is. I mean, holding up your arms when you can't hold them up, yeah. um, fighting for 
truth, helping you fight for truth when you can't fight for it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and, and to get to the point where you can be back in his word, where, where the head and the heart are connecting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I needed others. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't need others to tell me theological truths. I'm just going to put that out there. I, I knew the truths. I needed them to care for me. I needed them to love me. I needed them to point me to Christ, you know, gently. Um, I, I needed them to provide food for my family. I needed them, I needed quality time to process. I needed them to listen and to pray with me. Um, and that was encouraging. Wonderful. It reminds us that uh, while we may or may not be the person, the person who is struggling in this particular way, as a church, we have a call upon us to love one another in a way where we're coming alongside these folks if we know it or if we don't. And, and so, um, yeah, we are one of the Lord's incredible means to bless people and to help connect the head to the heart just in our everyday lives as we live with one another uh, in experiencing our union with Christ together. That's great, thank you. I think part of being, uh, needing others and being part of a local church that provides those others, uh, people will have seasons of discouragement. Uh, I'm more have like major discouragement and kind of fixate on that one than it being a perpetual thing. And I've needed the same thing, I've needed time to process, I've needed others people to help me think through problems uh, and um, but also understand on the flip side uh, we we're going to experience those moments in different times in our lives so those who are discouraged now who are being encouraged that there's going to be an adverse season where those who were once discouraged who are now the encouragers right. and um, and I think that's why we need to be among the body of Christ uh, because if you're just hanging out with your friends who are also discouraged and depressed, well, you know, and you just kind of just pat yourself on the back, yeah, man, your life kind of just stinks. Uh, you do need some people that will empathize with you, but will also extend an arm and help you pull, pull you out of that, you know, and that does take time and empathy and, uh, and, and patience and acts of love and kindness. Um, so, so there's... There's a mutual benefit in, in, in that. Yeah, beautiful. All right, any final word, Mike? Good, all right, well, thank you, panel. Can you give our panel a round of applause? Thank you for serving us. Let's pray, and then we will take a break. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and thank you that we can, again, gather together in his name, and Lord, I pray that as these folks have testified to us, Lord, that we would receive your comfort. Uh, we can take heart, uh, even in difficult times. And so Lord, I pray that we would take the wisdom conveyed to us here tonight and we would take it to heart. I would pray that you would, uh, by your spirit, take these things that we have uh, stored up in our heads and move them to our heart so that we would adore Jesus and walk according to his ways. Thank you for these saints and their labor and their testimony. I pray that you would use it to glorify Jesus. Pray us in Christ's name. Amen.